Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter? I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. Welcome back. Jim is with me today. This is Brooke Gilman. And with us today, we have another external visitor. So another external guest. It's becoming a little bit of a mini theme here on the ESEC Lending Insights podcast. And today, Jim and I are both super excited to have Nancy Allen with Equilen join us. Nancy is the Global Head of Data and Analytics Solutions. Nancy, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here with you both. So Nancy, obviously in your capacity at DataLend, you guys track industry data. You take it in from many industry participants and reproduce that and provide quite a bit of analytics and market intelligence and research and different solutions to support the market in terms of data analysis. I know you just recently announced some of the more recent macro trends around revenue probably going through October of this year. So I thought maybe we first could start there, but then would love to just hear what else you're up to and how things are evolving in your space. Yeah, sure. There's a lot going on here at Echelon from a data perspective, which I will get to. I'll give you a brief market update. So 2022 is really shaping up to be a very strong year for securities lending. Through October, we're up 7% over last year. And that means that we've generated approximately 8.2 billion for beneficial owners. So all the numbers I quote or talk about here are the lender to broker revenue numbers. So revenue generated for beneficial owners. And when we look at, just to put that into context, when we look back over the last couple of years, 2018, we saw a post-crisis high of nearly 10 billion of revenue generated for Ben owners. And then 2019, that dropped to about 8.6 billion. And if we remember back to 19 pre-COVID, we were very concerned about Brexit, trade wars, and just general macro uncertainty, which resulted in a long bias in the market. Moving into 2020, we were hit by, as we all know, the pandemic. We saw a number of short bans come into play, especially across Europe and Asia, and revenue dropped a billion to about 7.6. And then 2021, we saw the markets rebound from a lending perspective, and we had a pretty strong year coming in about 9.2 or 9.3 billion of revenue. And the highlight around 2021, we saw a lot of revenue generated from specials, specifically the meme stocks and SPACs. So just putting that into context now, 2022, as I mentioned, we're up 7%. And generally, we saw strong performance across North American equities and global fixed income, specifically in the corporates and government bonds, but at the same time, a softening in fees across equities in APAC and EMEA. But what was interesting is, you know, we focus on the specials, especially in North America, looking at the data on 50, which is our proprietary index, which tracks the top 50 most expensive securities to borrow in the market. That index was up 12%. So on average in 2022 versus 2021, you know, a lot of this revenue has been driven by North American equities. A couple of names just to look at from a revenue perspective, Lucid Group, which is an electric car manufacturer, is the top earner so far this year, generating $196 million for the beneficial owners, for the long holders of securities. We also saw a return of some of the meme stock names like GameStop and AMC. And again, for context, this year, GameStop has generated $187 million 
year to date. I think we all think of last year, 2021, as where GameStop generated a lot of revenue, but that was only 45 million in 2021 year to date. So 45 million versus 187 million this year, right? I think some really interesting stats. AMC generated this year 57 million in revenue compared to 37 million last year for the full year of 2021. Also worth noting Beyond Meat was the third largest revenue generator coming in at 119 million. And when we look at the revenue generated this year compared to the IPO in 2019, that was 193 million. So still tracking pretty strong following the 2019 IPO. The GameStop and AMC, those names were special early in 21 and then came back in 22. So it makes total sense to me that calendar year-wise, we're up just a little bit. It is interesting. It's a have or have not situation when you have concentrated revenue like that. And so you guys put out an excellent annual piece that talks about total revenue generated by region, North America, or maybe it's a tear sheet. And whenever I look at it, I always find it difficult to explain to clients why they're flat or only up a little bit and the whole market overall is up. And really what it is, is a shifting of the revenue and who earns it. So I would think, and I haven't taken a deep dive in the data yet, but I would think for 2022, a lot of that revenue is coming from low margin stuff you might see in the US. We ESEC have seen an increase in our balances on our discretionary trading book in the GC space. And so you have a handful of specials. When you talk about the top generators, is that globally or is that just US? That's global. So all of them were U.S. names, which is interesting. Yeah. When we looked at the equities year over year, North American equities are up 8.8%. But then you look at Asia was down 4%. EMEA was down a little over 6%. So that concentration, the overall increase is primarily being driven out of North America, the U.S. in particular. Have you seen much think about revenue generated and the amount of shares available across the market. Have you seen supply change at all over 22 or 21? Are there new entrants coming or is it really just the amount of availability is driven more by market value, would you say? Yeah, I think the availability, when you look at the market, is influenced by market value. But when we look at quantity, we haven't seen any big deviations, either withdrawals or injections of new liquidity in the market. Yeah, I think that's a positive for our current client base and the market in general. There were a number of years where post-credit crisis in the 2000s, a lot had sidelined themselves. And I think they've, for the most part, come back to the market. So I think that in general, if the denominator of the utilization stays static or just moves with marks as opposed to new supply, we're in a better place. Yeah. And I think your point is right, Jim, too. It's really about, for the beneficial owner, understanding the composition of their portfolio and how that aligns with these broader revenue numbers that we put out and the high concentration of earnings in a certain number of names, which they may not own. We looked at government debt was up 9%, corporate debt up 89, almost 90%. Um, But again, concentrated in specific names like HYG was a big one, the high yield corporate bond ETF. That was one of the top revenue generators, which is very unusual to see an ETF, especially a corporate bond ETF generating so much revenue. In fact, that number was, I have it here, 79 million year to date for HYG. So for a lending client, it's really important to understand your composition versus these numbers. And also, you know, what type of trades, yeah, and your collateral guidelines, what type of trades are you eligible to put on? Yeah. 
I think in terms of moving the dial on availability, not that there aren't other significant institutional investors globally that might not be as active in lending or perhaps still disengaged and not in the market. But I think the bigger shift over time might be how lenders adjust their approach to lending and therefore how much usage they ultimately are running on their assets over time. So do they have a collateral profile stance that is very limited? Are they putting out their government bonds? You know, are they participating in any meaningful way? What are they doing with their corporates? Do they have high usage of the corporates or not? What sort of collateral profile they have? Are they running high utilization of US equity GC balances or not based upon collateral profile? Things like that. I think as lenders shift their program guidelines, then I think over time that could have an impact. And especially like in, I know that this Asian markets and other markets are down generally, but that's a big area too, where I think supply can shift quite a bit. If there's a lot of lenders out there with size that aren't participating in markets like Taiwan, if that changes all of a sudden, that as well can have a big impact on the market. Sure. I point many times in speaking with our clients who are doing our huddles, I'll point to the DL50 or the DL newly hot benchmarks as ways to show trends. And I'll just cite them as percent up or down month over month. And this might be more just for me and inside baseball stuff, but can you tell me the difference between the two and what trends you would see as valuable that you can look to each index for? Yeah. So the data lend 50 is the top 50 most expensive. So total borrow cost, and then that's converted into an index. So what you can see on there is when you look back over, let's say 2021, we saw NASPERS in August of 2021, you'll see a huge spike in the data on 50. But generally, and then within our system, you can click on that and it'll give you a heat map and show you, okay, what was going on on that day? What security has caused this index to pop like it did? A lot of clients use that to track their overall revenue to see how is my revenue across my entire program or an agent lender across my entire program tracking to this DL50? Does it look about in line? And if not, then do a deeper dive and see what's going on. It may be that you don't hold NASPERS or in partaking in that trade. And then the DL newly hot is the same type of index, but looking at those new trades on say or new securities that may not have been in the DL50 or just the top most expensive and new ones coming to the market. So again, another way you can click on that, you can see all the names in there and the clients use that as another tool to make sure they're getting the right value for their loans. I like them. They're helpful. I use them quite a bit. (laughs) So as you guys are developing out new tools, I know you also now are doing more to expand your solutions for analytics services. Can you maybe explain what trends you're seeing there and who are the users of those services primarily? Is it still a lot with agent banks and market participants, or does it fall directly to a lot of underlying beneficial owner lenders as well? And is that a growing trend that you're seeing also? And maybe you can talk about some of the use cases. Yeah, sure. So this year we were really Earlier this year, very excited to launch our new data and analytics solutions business. So I think most of you know us as DataLend and think of DataLend as our traditional market data product. It's our flagship product founded in 2012. But our new solution from DataLend, we've created a number of different market data products. And the new data and analytics solutions is bringing all of those products together and bringing more to the market. So our goal within the new data and analytics solution is first to enhance our data set, to bring in new sources of data, third-party sources, call it ESG, sentiment, options, 
and harvest data from other areas of Equiland to again bring new insights to the market. Recently, we launched a liquidity score, volatility and momentum. We're looking at liquidity from an ESG perspective. So we hope to continue to bring those types of actionable analytics to the marketplace and then use the new data set to support the other products, the Equiland suite of products to enhance the trading experience, the post-trade experience, swap optimization, et cetera. So when you talk about using some of your other products and services to harvest data different than that of market participants sending you data feeds of kind of end of day close of business loan transactions, I would imagine a lot of that it has overlap in terms of the actual underlying specific transaction. Is it just that you're harvesting other elements of that trade information that maybe wouldn't be supplied to you by whomever is the underlying lender or lending agent? Like maybe you can give an example of what something else in Equilend is shining a light on and sort of how that might be useful. Yeah. One example would be our trading analytics product, which we're actively enhancing right now. And that's looking at the workflow and the trade flow over our NGT trading platform and bringing insights to our clients as to how they can better interact with their counterparties over NGT and how they can act more efficiently over the platform. You know, clients have proprietary algorithms that they use when they're going through the trading logic on NGT. How can they enhance that? How do they trade more efficiently with each of their counterparts? Are there broad-based changes they can make to the algorithm or is something happening with you know, counterparty X that they can fine tune? And so we're looking at that data and bringing those insights to the client base. That's super interesting. Yeah, and I mean, really what we're looking is, and we have a lot of pockets of really interesting and unique data sources you know, across our post-trade, as I said, books and records, even our swaps platform. So how do we, we want to do two things. We want to bring all that data together and then publish it back to clients for, again, more actionable insights just across the market and not necessarily where I'm trading a, a security, but how can I better trade that security? Right, right. So it's in some ways, some of the new tools are less about what is my rate on this particular loan and right. should it be better? Should I be re-rating, et cetera? But it's more about looking at a higher level, the trend of, am I trading efficiently with this counterpart? Could I be doing better overall? And you know that's going to lift your loans too by right. therefore revenue. We're also really excited in order to do this and bring this new product offering to market, we've engaged with a UX specialist team and we're in the middle right now of designing a brand new user interface which will bring our enhanced offering to our client base. And we're really focused on flexibility and customization, which is some of the feedback that we got when we went out to clients to talk about, look at the data line screens. And so these new screens will allow our clients to really build out new metrics on the back of our enhanced data set. All this data will also be available in our API. And we're really focused on speed of delivery. So we wanna make this new data set as real time as possible. That's awesome. I know that from our experience, we have a lot of development resources and build things ourselves, but it's always a prioritization game. I'm sure it's one within your organization too, but if you can bring solutions to the market and also allow entities like ourselves and you know others out there to do some level of customization, 
I would imagine there's going to be even greater take up for that because to avoid having to sort of build out proprietary solutions is always helpful if you can use what's already out there and use what's being built for the broader ecosystem. So that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add that the customization is really important to us and our approach to working with clients has always been very consultative in nature. And we feel like we did it with you partnering with our clients right. and exploring different ideas. We're learning, you're learning, and you know we have the data that we can help you construct new metrics. And we have, we've created some new interesting metrics by partnering with our client base. So that's something that's really the foundation of our offering and our approach to data. And I think this new solutions, you know, data and analytics solutions division will help to foster that continued consultative approach. Great. I have a question for Jim, and then I'm going to close with a question for Nancy and see if there's any overlap or consistency of trends. But Jim, because I know you have many wish lists in life, but what's at the top of your wish list when it comes to these types of tools? For those of our listeners that aren't overly familiar with what Jim's role is, Jim heads up our trading activities for all equities and corporate bonds within our organization. But what tools do you think would make your and your traders' lives that much easier day to day? That's a great question. And I think Equiland is hitting the nail on the head in terms of how they're developing it, consultative products with their clients. So it's it's the natural evolution. Data used to be, it would help you price alone. And now you have a decade worth of data that you can look at. I particularly would like to see data from swaps and options integrated into data from securities lending such that you can look at it from a cost to get short, a funding perspective, like depending on what you're doing. And it sounds like that's where you're headed. So at the top of my list would be just looking at what we compete with, which would be other products. It's become very commoditized, certainly in the US anyway, in terms of prices and utilization and data, thanks to folks like DataLend. But the next step would be comparing it to other products, other ways that our counterparts, clients look at the world and say, how do I get exposure to the short side of this sector, this name? And they can do many things other than just short a stock. And so we're competing with that. It's apples and oranges, but if you can pull it together, it would have a lot of value to me and probably a lot who sit in the same seat as me across the street. Nancy, what's at the top of the list that you hear from others like a gym? What are the other themes that you guys are hearing, I guess? And you can comment on whether or not there's consistency with what Jim just said, but I'd be curious too, just to add to that list, you know, what are some of the other top things that you're being asked for? Well, I would say Jim hit the nail on the head and that's something, you know, options pricing, we're having those discussions right now. We have the swaps product. We will be looking to pull in the pricing off swap optimization and also implied borrow costs from the options market. But, you know, it sounds a bit trite and we heard it at RMA for all of us who are there, you know, efficiency, transparency, optimization. We hear those words over and over again, but they truly are what the market is demanding of us and looking at the data and the answers are in the data, right? You need the data to make it, to be more efficient, to make decisions, to optimize your program. So a more robust data set with new insights, new data metrics, alongside an easy way to consume that data and then transform that data into meaningful insights is what we're hearing. And as I said, the approach that we're taking is let's get all that data in one place. And then let's work with our clients and figure out 
how do we deploy it and how is it useful to our client base and tailor it to each of our clients. So that flexibility is in customization is very important as well. It's no longer here, I'm just putting out a canned report or a canned user screen that everybody's going to see the same data. No, it's here's the underlying data. Here's some interesting insights. Let's tailor it to your program. That's great. And last questions for you both. 12 months from now, going back to where we started this conversation on revenue trends and this year being up over many of the year prior, what do you think 12 months from now we're going to see in terms of macro revenue trends? Jim? I would expect it to be up. In 12 months, we may have turned the corner in the equity markets globally and started trending higher. We're off 20, 25% across major indices this year. And so we'll gain some of that back and that can mask an otherwise, if it's a sleepy market from a second lending standpoint, uh, market appreciation will kind of cover that up, will be up. But I also think we could see increased amount of corporate events next year. So M&A, we've already started to see it in the market today. So as that materializes next year, I think that'll generate some revenue for the market. So up is my short answer. Hopefully for all of us, we'll see better you know, market valuations. I also think we'll more than likely continue to see volatility, which as we know, can always drive revenue um, in our markets. We've got elections. So it should be a really interesting end of year into 2023 as the world and the country finds its feet again. Good. Well, Nancy, so excited to have you on this podcast. I hope that it was a positive experience and one that you'll be willing to do again at some point in the future. And if not sooner, we'll bring you back at a minimum 12 months from now, just to replay this for the both of you and let you know how, uh -oh. how, how the results turned out. Jim knows I love to rewind the tape on him and let him know how his prior predictions were. Normally he's not right. Although I hope he is in this sense. And I hope you are as well because I think we'd all appreciate that. But yeah, hopefully it'll be a good end to this year and, and even better 2023. Well, thank you. Thank you both for having me. I will. I should have said this up front. It's my first podcast. So oh, thank really? you for making it so smooth for me. Oh, yeah. wow. You were yeah. like a pro. <laughs> I don't know about that. All right. Well, you were better than Jim. So yeah, we'll definitely have you back. That is true. Thank you, Nancy. Appreciate it. Look forward to having you back. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.